Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Michael Jones. How are you, Michael? Yeah, good, thank you. I was just telling you about how I had a really lazy weekend, which meant I got to watch plenty of Italian football, so feeling fully charged for today's episode. Excellent. And Francesca Amesbury, how are you doing, Francesco? Buonasera, Sam. I'm, I'm okay. Looking forward to this. Yeah, well, we'll get straight into it. And I think uh, that the main game this weekend, uh, the Milan derby, and I think, you know, pretty much everyone I know was picking Inter to win this. They've been in great form the last two or three months. Uh, and this was sort of their chance to open up a really significant gap at the top of the table. But it didn't work out that way. Having gone 1-0 up through Perisic in the first half, Olivier Giroud rolled back the ears, shall we say, and got a couple in the second. Uh, and Milan won. Uh, 2-1 to bring the gap back to one point at the top of the table. What, what did you make of the game, Michael? I think from the, from the neutral perspective, it was the result that everybody wanted because like you said, it's just brought that title race wide open again, really. I mean, it was a brilliant game and it was quite kind of strange as well in the sense that the game panned out. You know, Inter Milan kind of did what they've been doing week in, week out for so long and looked to have a good feel of control on the game and especially in the first half but I think kind of where the difference was was that I felt like AC Milan treated it more like a derby rather than Inter who I just kind of felt like we're taking it like they would any other game and I think AC Milan really were more aggressive in the second half I think they really took the game to Inter Milan and when the game was at 1-1 you know within moments they'd just again capitalised on some slack play from the title leaders, and I thought AC Milan just, yeah, really just rose to the occasion in the second half. And what a confidence boost it will be to for Stefano Pioli going forwards. And yeah, I think overall it's just a great outcome, um, apart from, you know, Nerazzari fans. Yeah, I think in that first half, it did look like Inter, you know, perhaps could run away with it. I think Mike Mannion in the in the Milan goal had an excellent game. Um, I know that the clip that's been going around was his perfectly timed slide tackle and then a sort of, I don't know, almost like a Cruyff term, a bit, bit weird. But yeah, he, he, he just had an exceptional first half, didn't he? What did you make of it, Francesco? Um, the way that Milan came back in the second half, who do you think deserves the most credit? Do you think... Pioli did really well with, with his sort of timing of substitutions. It seemed that Bra- uh, Brahim Diaz made a big impact off the bench. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think Pioli did get substitutions right. And I think Brahim Diaz was the key player in this result because um, when he came on, he caused Brozovic all kinds of problems. I think the difficulty that Brozovic happened, uh, was having with Diaz was a contributing factor to him coming off. And um, he he got both assists for the goals. Um, I think he really changed the way that Milan attacked um, and, and caused Inter's midfield a, a lot more problems compared to what Kessie had been doing, you know, for the first 70 minutes. Um, and yeah, I think Pioli does deserve, uh, deserve credit for that because... He made those changes. Really, Brahim Diaz has been poor in the last few weeks. I think he started off the season really well. And you can understand why Pioli decided to go with Kessier in this game to start off with. But I think it shows quite a bit of character from him. And it reminded us what a quality player he can be, because I think he really was excellent. And um, 
definitely the player that I think influenced this result. I mean, obviously, Giroud got the goals, but I feel like Brahim Diaz is um, coming on and, and uh, causing into those problems in midfield was the real difference maker. Yeah, another player who I thought kind of went under the radar was um, Pierre Kalalu. I thought, you know, with all the problems that AC Milan have had at the bat recently with Simon Kier and Fikayo Tomori, I think he's steadily really stepped up to the plate this year and it was just capped off. I thought he did so well against La Torre Martinez. And I was just looking at the stats as well. I think he carried out the most or executed the joint most progressive carries in the game with seven. And I thought he was he was he really provided a bit of a rock in front of Menyon, who also had an excellent game for AC Milan to breed that confidence in the second half. And what about from um an inter perspective, Francesco? Um looking at their fixtures, this is a huge month for them, isn't it? They've they've got Napoli in the league this weekend, they've got Coppa Italia in midweek, and then they play Liverpool in the Champions League. So I think a lot of people were thinking they'd maybe win this weekend. That would sort of solidify their spot as the best team in the league at the moment. And that could maybe allow them to focus on other priorities. It didn't work out that way. So do you think this is potentially a really critical month coming up in their season now? I do think so. Um, and I think they they have to be disappointed with the result of the derby this weekend. But I also feel like they contributed to it in that they were quite casual, um, especially in that second half. I feel like a little bit in Zaghi with his substitutions. Um, possibly he brought Brozovic off a bit too early and, and maybe even Chanel Oglu. I know that Perisic wanted to take him off, but I think they, those didn't help him there. But it felt like the whole team uh, just became a little bit casual in that second half. And that is probably born out of the fact that they have been so dominant for so long now and even in those matches like for example against Venezia where they didn't play that well things have just been going their way so I don't know if there you know there's kind of been a, a, a created a situation where they feel almost un, or they felt almost unbeatable um, so so this result I think it could do two things I think it could kind of refocus the team um, you know whilst it felt like the job had been done and dusted in the league because they had been so dominant and were clearly ahead of everyone else. This could help them refocus and concentrate in these matches that are coming up. But it could also add pressure. Um, you're right to underline the Napoli match and the other big games that they have coming up. I mean, before the derby, we were looking at Inter and thinking they're cruising through the league. They, they are very much a factor still in the other competitions they're in. But in 10 days' time... We could be looking at a side that is out of the Coppa Italia, that are no longer top of the league and have a, a deficit in their Champions League uh, tie against Liverpool. They could they could have lost four matches in a row. I mean, it's not it's not unthinkable to to think that. At the same time, I also think that if you look at the the match as a whole, and you ask me which of those two sides is going to pick up the most points from now until the end of the season. You would still say Inter. I think Inter were dominant for, you know, I disagree slightly with Michael. I think they were dominant for for the full 70 minutes. I think it was a, I don't know what it was. It was a lack of concentration in that moment. And Milan were really good at taking advantage of it. But I feel like for the first 70 minutes, there was a team that has dominated the season and you can see why. And um, I still feel like the league title was in their hands. You know, I think for, for another side to win, to win the 
the title this season, Inter need to be complicit. They need to throw it away a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, it could go uh, either way. I, I, I'm not sure if... Uh, I, I feel like that, you know, if they do lose a couple of matches in a row, they, they could start to get nervous. But at the same time, this result could also help them in that it could make them concentrate again. Even the manager, you know, it could make them refocus and, and we'll see how it plays out. Inter still do have a lead at the top of the league. They're, they're one point clear um, and they do have a game in hand on Milan. Uh, the other team that they're one point clear of is Napoli. Um, again, they've got a game in hand on them, but Napoli took advantage of Inter's slip up this weekend as they beat Venezia 2-0. Um, do we, does this now look like a three-horse title race, do you think, Michael? And, um, and and how do you think Napoli are looking? Are they perhaps over their blip that we saw sort of around November, December time for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's a three-horse title race as things go. Like Francesco said, you know, there's some really difficult fixtures coming up for Inter Milan, the Champions League's in some ways it's going to be a welcome distraction, but also unwelcome in the sense that, that they, you know, will want as much focus as possible on the title race. Nevertheless, I think Nap- Napoli have steadily improved, but haven't improved immensely. They're not performing to those levels that we saw when they went on that amazing winning run at the beginning of the season. But given that the sort of contrasting run that they've been on, that was never really going to happen. And I think we need to kind of appreciate that. But Huge boost for them. I mean, seeing a Simeon back in the side, seeing him on the score sheet again was a considerable boost. And then also, you know, Khalidou Koulibaly leading Senegal to AFCON last night, you know, in what was a terrific performance. I thought he did brilliant against uh, Mo Salah. I think that kind of him coming back in, winning AFCON could be such so big mentally for the Napoli dressing room as well. I really think that shouldn't be understated. I mean, Napoli have, you know, had cup success over the last few years, but this is a, you know, a massive trophy that they, you know, their leader really has won, and I, I do think that can have a massive boost for Napoli. And with all these players returning, of course, Zambo Anguissa has also recently returned. I think, or will be returning even. That there's, it's re- really, really is starting to fall together for Napoli to make a really strong push in the second half of the season. Of course, they've got. European football as well. They've got that massive Europa League clash with Barcelona coming up, which is a scintillating encounter, by the way. Both teams have played um, at times this season. But yeah, I think it's a three-horse race. And I think Luciano Spalletti will be really excited about the prospect of these players returning, especially seeing the rest of his team pull together um, quite an important victory, which previously they'd probably struggled to do when they'd gone through that more turgid run of form that you've mentioned over the past two months, um, well, the last two months of last year. Yeah, it does seem like they've started to sort of get their act together again. I, I know that earlier on in the season, Francesco, you sort of pointed out that that around the Africa Cup of Nations could be a slight issue for Napoli because they do have some big players competing in that competition. Um, but they've got through that period well. They're now, as I say, just a point behind Inter, albeit having played a game more. Although Milan did beat Inter this weekend, do you feel that Napoli are Inter's biggest threat in terms of winning the Scudetto? Yes, I do. I think, or, or certainly a bigger threat than, than Milan. I think 
Napoli's, uh, you know, you're, you're right to underline the African Cup of Nations. I, I thought, I think we all thought a little bit that that would be a period when Napoli might struggle. And the paradox is that they actually struggled before that because they had that real block of injuries all at the same time. I think whilst a lot of the teams have been affected by injury and COVID this season, I don't think anyone was as as, as affected as Napoli in the sense that they had nearly all of their best players out for two or three games in a row. So it was like they were missing half of their best players or half of their starting 11 for two or three matches. And I think that's where they had that, that drop in form. That's where they started dropping points. But I think right now it feels like with the return of the African players, um, but also players like Fabian Ruiz coming back into the team, it almost feels like we're seeing the full depth of that squad again. And we saw it this weekend, how, how many options they have when they're all fit. And also, you know, players like Labotka, for example, who I hadn't really considered at the start of the season because it didn't look like he was going to play much. He's had a really good period as well. So all of this, all of a sudden they have all these options. And I think if you compare their squad to, to Milan's, it feels a lot more complete. I think they have more options. And yeah, I, I think that they, they are in as good a position as they've ever been to win the title since I can remember, even now. So, that you know, it's, it's obviously, Naples is an amazing city. Uh, it's, it's a one-club city. There's a lot of enthusiasm. I, I think right now they are probably the biggest danger to Inter, and it means that the game coming up this weekend is, is huge. And we're going to talk about that game a little bit later on in the episode, of course. Um, I now want to move on to Juve, um, because I think people are quite excited to see how they get on, having had quite a big January transfer window. They got a, a fairly comfortable home win against Verona this weekend, um, and, and it was really good for their debutants. Um, Vlahovic and Zakaria both got on the score sheet, Michael. Um, how do you think they slotted into that Juve team overall? Because I think we feel that Juve haven't been convincing at all this season. Did they look a bit better with those couple of additions? Yeah, I thought they looked far better. I was really impressed when I watched them against Telos Verona. I mean, there were periods early on in the second half where they did let them get back into the game. But once they got that second goal, they could have added a few more to the tally. They really looked confident. I think Dybala seemed to relish playing in a role behind Vlahovic, who, you know, scored an excellent, excellently taken opening goal, you know, lobbing the goalkeeper after being put through. But it was actually Zakaria who I was most impressed with. I mean, we talked about on the last episode that he seemed smart business, you know, he only cost a few, a matter of a million. But I, I just thought he brought that presence that Juve's midfield has been missing for so long. And yeah, it's only one game. So this is slightly hyperbolic, which I appreciate. But I just think he really looks like he could be the answer to some of the midfield issues. And what I thought was really notable, noticeable was that Adrian Rabio, I thought, had a really good game as well. And I think his form's been so patchy of late, or maybe for the whole time he's been in Italy, really. And I think Zakaria really took off some of that defensive responsibility. But it wasn't just that about him that I liked. You know, his goal was one where he surged forwards and was on the end of a good team move. And I thought overall, I thought, you know, playing him on the right-hand side, I, I expected him to be central in a more holding position. But he wasn't. He had quite a lot of the pitch to kind of use up and down. And I thought he really helped Juve look a lot more dynamic. And I think dynamism is something Juve have been missing for a really long time now and I really sensed it with the arrival of these two and I, I'm I really think they're going to make a there's there's some really it's time maybe you know it's the most excited 
most excited Juventus team on paper and also from a performance. I've, I've been for quite some time. I yeah, really did get... Um, it certainly was a good performance to watch. Yeah, Juventus are now into the top four for the first time in quite some time now, Francesco. Um, again, once again, albeit they played a game more than Atalanta, who we'll move on to in, in a minute. Um, do you expect them to stay there? And, and now they're eight points behind Inter, who have a game in hand. Is there maybe a small chance they can get back into the title race? Or do you think it's just focus on getting into that top four so they secure Champions League football for next season? I, I I definitely expect them to finish in the top four. I think, and and if you look at Juve's results, they've actually been doing well for a while now. So I think if if you look at the last twelve games, we're going back to November, they've picked up more points than anyone in the league, including Inter. I think uh, they've played a game more than Inter, but in that time they've made up a point on Inter. They've made up I think eight points on Napoli, eight points on Milan, six points on Atalanta. So they've been really chiseling away at the lead that those teams have had it's not it's not just now that you have become better their their, their um, results have actually been good for a while now their performances remain have been a little bit unconvincing um and i wasn't totally convinced you their performance this weekend i think what what was noticeable was the enthusiasm from the fans and from the players i, I can't remember the last time i've seen dibala look this excited about being a new Venice side uh, I think you know uh, you could see how how hard Morata was trying playing in a slightly different position it feels like the team have have been galvanized by this transfer market you know they, they're, they're obviously pleased that Vlaovic has arrived he, he is a big deal and um, I also feel like it's kind of forced Allegri to play a certain way he's decided that he wants to play that way I don't know if he'll continue to do that but it seems like for the first time this season they had a kind of a a kind of thought out way of playing it feels like that there is a way to play with those players and and that's that's what he's going to do now I mean he he's changed a lot this season the other thing to say about Juve is they just stopped conceding goals since you know in that period so for I think it's 12 or 13 games now. They've only conceded six goals. And this this weekend, even though Irona had the, the ball quite a lot of the time and, and they were in and around the penalty area, it, it felt like one of those matches where they're not going to score if they play for another year. And Juve have been doing that for a while. And when you add Vlaovic and Dybala to the top of that side, it feels like it's going to be a winning formula. You know, they're not going to concede many goals. And the chances are, even when they don't play that well, they're going to score. Um, and I think... You know, it was easy to forget how good this Juve squad is. It is actually a really good squad. They played this weekend without Locatelli, without Quadrado. I mean, Quadrado came off from the bench. There's lots of, you know, that's not to mention De Ligt and, and Kiers as well, who's out. There's lots and lots of quality in this Juve team. So I would be surprised if they don't finish in the top four. It would be a big surprise. I think for the for the title, as I said earlier, I feel like Inter would need to be complicit for Juve to come back into this title race. I feel like Inter would have because because I think if they win their game in hand, it would be a kind of eleven point gap. So they'd need to you know they need to fall away big time for Juve to come back into it. But yeah, it does, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it does seem that they're uh, you know still a still a big gap to claw back. But as I said, they're into the top four, and that's because. Atalanta lost this weekend against Cagliari. Bit of a bit of a shock result here. Um, 
you know, really terrible week for Wan Musso, um, both on and off the pitch uh, with his Instagram mishap as well, and then getting sent off. But but Atalanta didn't really click into gear even when he was on the pitch and they had 11 men and they ended up losing 2-1. Something that's been noticeable this season, Michael, is, is their lack of goals, Atalanta. Um, you know, they've scored 45 in, tw- sorry, um, yeah, 45 in 23 games, which isn't horrendous, obviously, but it's actually, um, you know, four of the top six have scored more than them. We're used to Atalanta scoring, you know, three or four a game over the last three or four years. Do you think they're just missing that sort of spark that, you know, Papu Gomez and Ilicic when he was in his prime were giving them a couple of seasons ago? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's mainly what it is. I think there's a few other factors as well. I think it shouldn't be understated the long-term impacts, the the summer tournaments, which Atalanta were really seriously impacted by, by the number of players he had both at Copa America and Euro 2020 has hindered the season in terms of players coming back tired, not being able to plan properly. And yeah, I mean, this is maybe something which has been brewing for 12 months now since Papu Gomez left, like you said. I think they've they've really struggled to fill that creative um, that creative void that's been left following his departure. Ilicic over the last two years has you know for various reasons has declined, which has been sad to see. And I think in those forward areas, you know, we discussed last week the signings of Mihaila and Jeremy Bogger, which I do think are exciting signings. But I'm not sure, and I think they'll go some way to improve in Atalanta, but there's still going to be that massive issue with creativity. I think the other issue that you've got with them, with creativity, is maybe the role of the wing-backs this season. I don't think, although I think Davide Zappacosta's actually not had, uh, he's he's pleasantly surprised me, to be honest, since he's been in the team this season. But down the left-hand side, I think it's been a serious issue. I think with Robin Gersons, whose output has been phenomenal over the past few seasons, obviously he was injured for the first part, now he's come to Inter Milan. And then you've seen Joaquin Mailer who as a right-footed wing-back, I just didn't think provided them the width that they needed. It seemed an ill-fit role for him, even though he did it so well with Denmark. And Giuseppe Petzella, who's been playing more recently, I just think, I do think creates a more natural balance, but doesn't have the same output in terms of what Gerson's can produce, albeit he is only young. So I think there's quite a few issues all over the pitch. And I think, you know, when Atalanta were a team that's won so many goals, it breeds confidence in the rest of what they're doing. And, you know, now they're not scoring as many. Okay, they're still scoring a good amount of goals for a team in their position, but not the amount that their style of play kind of relies on. It puts a lot more pressure on players all over the pitch. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, Juan Musso's had this shocking week. I think the less said about his um, Instagram antics, the better. But um, I'm sure at least this red card will give him the chance to just go in complete isolation for seven to ten days and just rethink. <laughs> um, what what do you think just... he's more? What do you think he's more upset about, the sending off or or the Instagram photo? Well, I don't know. I I think that you know, there's a lot of short termism in football, isn't there? So I feel like the red card maybe more, but I think on a wider level, I'm pretty sure more people will have steal taken note of him for what he did. I'm sure there's a lot of people who hadn't even heard of him outside of Italian football who now know who he is exactly for that reason. So I think that one may live with him a bit longer. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a disastrous week for him and for Atalanta, I guess. I'm not sure if I answered the question at all. But <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you, what, about you, what about you, Sam? What do you think's worse? 
what do I think is worse? Um, I, I, I think he will live to regret the Instagram stuff a bit more personally. Um, we've seen, although, although Atalanta have been great over the years, we've seen plenty of defensive mishaps from them. So that can just be added to the yeah. catalogue. But uh, yeah, what, what he did on Instagram um, will live in people's memories for a while, maybe. Um, I, but, I, I mean, I... I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think in 2022, most people's willies are on the internet somewhere. So yeah, okay. is, it, is it that bad? <laughs> He's just fitting in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I wanted to come to you, Francesco, on Cagliari because, um, I mean, I, I think people know my thoughts on Cagliari and they seem to always just about survive, which I'm not you know, too happy about. But they're now out of the bottom three. Um, I know that you weren't happy when they appointed Walter, uh, Walter Mazzari because uh, you don't think he's a great coach or you think he's a terrible coach, I, I believe. But uh, but they do seem to have gone on a bit of a decent run sort of in January and now to kick off February. So how much credit does he deserve for this run? Yeah, I mean, you, you have to give him some credit, I suppose. Uh, that's The second half of the season, they have been really good. I think in the first half of the season, they only picked up 10 points in, in the 22, 22 matches or something. And since then, they've picked up the same amount, so 10 in five matches. So they have been really good since the turn of the year. Um, I don't know how much of it is to do with Mazzari, really. I think when he took over, he didn't win, or he, he didn't win for 10 games, something like that. Um, and um, you know, they have a good squad. Uh, it's not surprise com- compared to the teams around them, they have a good squad. It's not really that surprising that they they might come out of that situation because, you know, if you compare them to the other teams down there, they, they have some really good players. This weekend as well, I think, like, I feel like everything went their way. Uh, you know, the, the, the first goal should have been disallowed. They played against 10 players for, um, for most of the game and they nearly messed that up. So, I still have some question marks about what Mazzari's doing, but at the same time, you know, considering how things were not that long ago, they have done a pretty good job of of coming out of that relegation zone. Yeah, well, let's let's see if they can remain there with with what about fifteen games or so to go. Um, we're going to move on to Lazio now, um, and and their victory over Fiorentina this weekend. Um, I'm I'm not sure many people predicted that they'd win so comfortably, but yeah, a, a three nil win in Florence. Um, um, to be honest, this was more about Fiorentina's capitulation, I thought, Michael, uh, in the second half. All three goals came in the second half. They also had Lucas Torreira sent off. Um, are you? A, we spoke a little bit about this last week, but are you a bit fearful of how they're going to cope without Vlahovic now? Um, because this defeat was sort of reminiscent of what we've seen the last two or three years with uh, Fiorentina, where they seem to be a, a little bit weak at times. No, I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not too concerned for them long term. I think, you know, we discussed the signings. I think we, the general mood was quite enthusiastic and positive about them. That performance doesn't change it. Look, it was a really bad result and there's a lot gone on. Um, naturally, I think you can understand the players being unsettled. I mean, we need to just assess with time, really, to see if it is going to be long term implications. But I mean, in fairness to Vincenzo Italiano, I mean, he certainly deserves that trust he's you know he's done such a good job with Fiorentina up until now he worked wonders with Spezia as well and I I think he is you know not that I'm not having a conversation about whether he's the right man for the job but I mean I just think under him because of course he is but under him I think they they will certainly respond quite quickly and I think you know it might take them to 
player team a bit lower in the table where they're going to slowly breed confidence from. But I mean, yeah, it was a disastrous performance. The goals, I mean, the defence, how easily Lazio were just cutting through them. But they had a couple of chances of their own. And I do think that the, uh, the suspension of Lucas Torreira is going to be a massive blow for them. I think he's been brilliant for them this season. So it might be a, a pretty bad month as things go, but they've not had many of them this season. And I think over time, I'm very confident that they'll still finish in the top 10 at the very least. And for Lazio, I want to pick out one player, and that's uh, Milinkovic Savic, who who got, I believe, his eighth league goal of the season. He's also got quite a few assists. He seems to be quite a complete midfielder now, Francesco. You know, maybe he has been for a couple of years, in fact, but he seems to be right at his peak. Every transfer window, he seems to be linked with a move away. Do, do you think this summer will be the time when he finally does get a move to, you know, one of these European giants, perhaps? I think there is a strong possibility. I'm, I'm pretty sure that he must be quite happy in Rome because otherwise he, he must have had opportunity to leave before now and he hasn't taken them. Um, but if you look at, I think his contract runs out in 2024. He, he's only on around 3 million euros, which for a player of his quality, you know, that's not a huge amount of money. He could definitely get more money elsewhere. And Lazio must be thinking, you know, I don't, I don't think he's going to renew with Lazio unless they significantly increase his wages, which I doubt Lotito's going to do. He's the second highest player at the club. And that means that Lazio probably want to think about selling him before they end up in a similar situation to kind of Vlaovic, uh, where, you know, or, or maybe not Vlaovic, but, but Donnarumma, someone like that, where, where the player ends up leaving for nothing or very little because he's got not much left on his contract. You think that the summer transfer window is probably the the last time they're going to be able to command a, a big transfer fee for him, and for that reason, I think yeah, there probably is a good chance that that he'll leave. Yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out because, as I said, um, it seems that uh, him and Koulibaly is another one who seems to always be linked with a move away. But you know, he's now been at Napoli for like eight years, and I think he might just stay but we'll see um moving on to another side in Rome and, and that is Roma who were held to a nil-nil draw by Genoa a uh, really disappointing result this um because Roma could have put a bit of pressure on the top four it looked like they might have won it right at the death with uh, Zaniolo scoring but that was disallowed for a foul in the build-up I, I know some people think it was a bit of a soft foul. What what did you make of it, Michael? Um, with sort of Tammy Abraham seeming to step on uh, the general player's foot in the build-up. Did, did you think it was fair to be chalked off? I'm quite divided on this one, to be honest. I think, I've only seen the replay, I think, twice. I mean, it looked to be a foul to me, and in that sense, it's right that the goal was ruled off. I think, in the other sense, and maybe this is more romantic side of me, because the first half certainly wasn't, but I just think, you know, was the player who was fouled by Tammy Abraham actually really ha- going to have any say in what happened in the outcome of the goal? No, I don't think he was. I think Zaniolo, he wasn't going to get near Zaniolo, put any different kind of pressure on him, which would have affected the shot and the outcome. So I think from that perspective, I think it is disappointing. But yeah, I- I'm really torn on this one, to be honest. I think it's, um, about, I think I'm going to go in my heart rather than my head and say that, it should have been given, but, you know, the reaction and what else was to come, I don't think was really justified. And 
the referee had grounds to make that decision. It wasn't just a completely awful decision. Yeah, I think that you. I've actually just been reminded of another VAR decision this weekend, um, which actually was well handled by VAR um, in the Fiorentina-Lazio game. I don't know if you saw this, there was a penalty given to Fiorentina, which was an absolutely dreadful decision. Luckily, that was overturned. Um, I think they they simply thought that Luis, Luis Felipe should have just become invisible all of a sudden. Uh, but, but luckily, as I said, that one was overturned. Um, Zaniolo was then sent off for his protest, Francesco. I know that you're really high on Zaniolo and you think he's a great talent, but it seems early on in his career, he's still only about 22, I think, he's got this reputation for being a bit of a hothead. So does he maybe need to learn to control things a bit better if he is going to go on and achieve his full potential and, and, and you know... God knows where that will take him because he seems to have a, a, a hell of a lot of potential. He, I mean, I'm not as concerned about his hot-headedness. I think even this weekend, whilst he probably shouldn't have protested like that, I feel like based on what he said, you know, he the referee could have booked him uh, considering the moment. And, you know, it's not like he personally insulted the referee. He was just questioning why he'd, he'd whistled, you know, he'd blown up for the free kick. But... I do feel like his attitude generally could be better. You know, it feels like he's become too famous and too highly rated too quickly. You know, it reminds me a little bit of the Balotelli situation uh, where he he believes already that he's one of the best players in the world. And I don't know, he deserves some sort of special treatment for that. I think he just needs to get his head down and and work hard. And yeah, I still think he is a, a brilliant footballer with a huge potential the only worry is kind of his, his physical situation because he's had such serious injuries and he's still so young. But I do hope that he gets his act together. I'm not sure if that will happen at Roma. You know, he was heavily linked to Juve at the end of the transfer window. I, I don't know if that's going to happen. But yeah, he just needs to focus on his football, I think. But but in terms of his hot-headedness, I don't really think that's that's an issue. It's more just his general attitude to, to wanting to work hard and get his head down and and try and make himself the best he can be. I just think on Zaniolo, I think, you know, like Francesco mentioned, he's had these horrendous injuries. I'm not sure many players have gone through worse than what he's had in the past few years. And it, I kind of get the impression he's trying to make up for lost time, which is very understandable. But he's a lot. It, I thought in the first half of the season, he was maybe guilty of trying to do too much. And then it looked like he was really in his groove against Genoa. I thought he was Roma's main attacking threat. The goal was simply sensational. Um, he was creating some of the best chances for them as well. And I think it was a real shame that he picked up that red card. Yeah, it could have been a yellow, but he's now found himself back in a position where, you know, all the good work he's kind of done in that game has been undone. He's now got to serve a suspension and he's going to have to just start building again. And he, it has to be a tough lesson, but he has to take this lesson that he can't, you know, keep thinking he can say what he wants on the pitch. And that, and I do think, in that sense, he does need to temper himself a bit, but not to the extent where it's going to impact his style of play and that, you know, quite aggressive style of play has. I would just say um, on another note as well, when we're speaking of red cards in this game, I don't think we should be leaving Leo Ustergaard off the hook so easily because that is one of the worst fouls I think I've seen in a game in a long time. I can't remember who it was. It was free. Was it? it was Tammy Abraham, wasn't it? No, I think, I think it was um, Athena Jean. 
Oh, Felix Felix Jean. Jean, yeah. Yeah, and he's he's basically choked slammed him. Like yeah. it's absolutely yeah. dreadful. And uh, I, I genuinely think that's one that calls for a longer suspension. I mean, it's quite funny now, but it was absolutely appalling. Yeah, he seemed in he seemed in disbelief that it had been given. Um but I think uh, there seemed to be a couple of reasons that it could have been. One, he was the last man. But two, he grabbed a player around the neck. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's cause for appeal there. Let's put it that way. Moving on to one of the more surprising results of the weekend, I think. And that was Sampdoria not just beating Sassuolo, but completely dominating them, picking up a 4-0 win. Um, Stefano Sensi scored on his debut uh, and Caputo scored against his former club. Um, so, Francesco, I know that you said earlier in the season you're not that concerned about Sampdoria, you know, maybe getting relegated. Um, they have opened up a bit of a gap now. What do you think we can expect from them for the rest of the season? And, and what do you make of Marco Giampaolo being back there after, you know, a, a couple of difficult years since he was last at the club? Yeah, I'm always surprised at how, when I look at the league table, I'm always surprised at how badly Sampa are doing. It feels like they're having a decent season. And uh, when I watch them play, they always seem to be doing quite well. I thought they were really good this this weekend. I think Sensi's performance was one of the highlights of the whole weekend for me. I'm really pleased that he's playing again. He seemed to already have a good um, kind of relationship with his teammates, especially Caputo. And the fact that he scored is also great. So I'm continue to do well there. And I think the the return of Giampaolo is interesting. It feels like Samp are, are bringing in other players as well who have uh, coming from similar situations like... Um, Sensi himself and Conti as well, who's had a couple of difficult seasons. He scored a great goal this weekend. Um, I think they're bringing back Sebastian Jovinko to Italian football. He's going to sign for them because, um, because of Gabbiadini's injury. Yeah, that's right. So it, it, they're creating something. And, and uh, you know, it's similar to what Candreva's done. I mean, Candreva's been one of the best wingers in the league this season. I think he's had uh, from start to finish. I think he's got seven assists, seven goals. He was excellent again this weekend. So some of maybe have lost their way a bit, have ended up at Samp and um, under a manager who's in a similar situation. I think when Giampaolo was there the first time, he played some really interesting football. And um, he all of a sudden has a, a, a squad with some really interesting players in. So I'm, I'm quite excited to see what Samp do from now until the end of the season. It feels like they they have opened up a bit of a gap, but they are still in that in a bit of trouble. So... I, I, I hope they stay up and yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Giampaolo does with this team. Yeah, I completely agree with what you said, Francesca. I mean, I, I just have one question actually for both of you. Eva could help me out. I mean, going by Antonio Candreva's performance at the weekend, which I just thought was simply sensational, his delivery of balls, the Penenka penalty at the end, it was such a maestro performance. Um, I was, like, I was thinking to myself, surely he's got to be in the reckoning for Man Roberto Mancini's squad coming up for their Portugal game. But I know he's not played for Italy for, I think, over three years. And I was looking around before and I was like, I can't find anything about him declaring international retirement. There's nothing on his Wikipedia. Um, so I was wondering if anyone could shed light or if not, whether like you two thought he should be brought back into the Italy fold. Because I think he'd really add something, especially even if it's just for the quality of the set pieces he'll bring. 
Yeah, well, he, he of course Mancini, uh, you know, had a uh, training camp in the in the January break, um, and Balotelli got called up for the first time since 2018. So that sort of suggests that he's not against calling players back up. I know what Candreva's what about 34 now, maybe something like that. So you know, maybe Mancini's going. We'll, we'll be looking for the younger players, but as you say, Candreva has had a very good season. Um, I was never a massive fan of him when he was, you know, back in the inter days. It seemed at times that he was crossing for crossing sake. But um, but as you said, he, he really seems to be having a good season at Sampdoria. So what, what about you, Francesco? Any chance of a recall or is Mancini much more likely to go for, you know, the, the younger players in that squad? I, I think there is a, an outside chance, but I would be surprised. I think one of the issues Candreva has is that he doesn't really fits that well into this into the way Mancini is playing with this Italy side. I think he's more suited to being a wing-back or in Sandari is basically this season he's played in a 4-4-2 so he he kind of starts from a deeper position. I think when he one of the problems he had at Inter with Spalletti was that he he was starting as that kind of wide attacker and that didn't really suit his strengths um, and you know at the moment he'd probably play in the position where Berardi plays or Insigne plays I think Right now, those two are, are quite a bit ahead of him. But, it, you know, Michael makes some good points. I think in terms of his delivery and the season he's having, uh, you know, he probably does deserve to be at least considered. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, obviously, next month, Mancini will name his squad for those uh, those World Cup playoff games. Um, moving on to Udinese Torino. Um, Udinese got a 2-0 win here with two late goals, plus there was a red card um, for Mandragora. Um, that opens up a gap between them and the bottom three, um, a, a bit like Sam actually. With Torino, it's been a bit of a strange one, hasn't it? Because there's been times when it's looked like they're really going to kick on and possibly push for Europe this season. And then they chuck in these odd results. So what do you think is going on at Torino at the moment, Michael? How, how do you assess their season? I mean, I think overall that, They've had a good season. They've had a very good season at times. And Ivan Juric has really helped develop some players. I think he's one of the best things he's done this season is make them a team that was so reliant on one player, much more versatile, much um, more, have much more variation to their attacking play. I mean, if anything, I do think the slight issue is maybe it's something he encountered with Hellas Verona because they'd also get into similar veins of form where you felt like they were on the verge of maybe pushing the top eight at the very least. And then there was maybe just a bit of a belief issue or, you know, a feeling that they should be winning these games and maybe that they can afford to drop points here and there. Um, obviously, the Mandragora red card certainly held them back and it, it did take an absolutely brilliant free kick from Molina to, you know, put Udinese ahead at the very least and it left Torino chase in which, you know, eventually kind of was a run doing because they were, it was a, an absolute mess for the second goal. But... Yeah, I mean, I think overall it's a good job and it's a work in progress. And similar to Italiano at Fiorentina, you know, there's no immediate concerns with them or anything like that. I think it's overall, you know, they're on an upwards trajectory and I think they'll continue even after there are going to be blips like there was this weekend. 
And then on to the last match that we're going to cover. Um, of course, on Monday night, we're, we're filming this in the, uh, sort of Monday evening in about an hour's time. Uh, Salah Natana take on Spezia, but we're going to not be able to cover that game, unfortunately. But Bologna Empoli ended nil nil. Um, not much to talk about in terms of the actual game itself, Francesco. But these are two sides who are in mid table. So, do you think either of them are capable of pushing, you know, towards that sort of top eight or? Alternatively, is there either side that you think could maybe get dragged into, say, the bottom five uh, and possibly even a relegation battle like we saw with Benevento last season? Uh, I would say no to both of those. I feel like <laughs> it's been a it's been a positive season for both of these teams, especially Ampoli coming up from from Serie B. I think they're definitely going to stay up, and I like the way they they play. I think they've got some really interesting players. And they, they try and do things the right way. Um, and for Verona, they've possibly surprised me the most of any team in Serie A. I feel like Mihailovic has really changed the way he's done things this season. And they have been much more interesting to watch and, and a lot more solid defensively. Um, and I think they're probably both too, too good to go down. And uh, they have a big gap between them and the relegation zone. But there are too many sides like Fiorentina, Torino, Verona, uh, even though Sassuolo are below Empoli at the moment, I'd, I'd say that Sassuolo as well, who are quite a bit better than them. And I'd expect all of those four, plus you know Roma and Lazio and the rest of those teams to finish above them. So, yeah, I expect both of these sides to finish in, in mid-table, but I would still say that to date they've had positive seasons. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a fair assessment. Maybe I was pushing things slightly there. But yeah, they both are like going to be safe, but maybe maybe sort of 11th or 12th is, is the best they can hope for. OK, I'm, I'm now going to move on to the Coppa Italia, which is coming up in midweek. Um, we're at the quarterfinal stage. And we've got some really tasty fixtures coming up, actually. So I just want to get some predictions from you guys and, and, and some quite quick predictions, if that's OK. Um, we're going to... Start with Tuesday's game, which is Inter at home to Roma. So, Michael, how do you see this one going? I think Inter will be a bit nervy following the games that have just gone. I think Roma will be fired up. Uh, so I think it should be quite a close encounter, but ultimately I think Inter's quality and experience should see them free. So 2-1 Inter. 2-1 Inter. I, uh, okay. How about you, Francesco? Sorry, yeah. I'm, I mean, I... I agree with Michael. I think the way Inter might lose this is if Roma take this competition seriously and Inter rest a lot of players. I think Inter will rest a lot of players, but I'm not sure that Marino will play all of his, his strongest players anyway. Um, I'd probably say 2 0. Okay, so both going for Inter in that. Um, moving on to Wednesday's match, and that is Milan Lazio. These teams seem to face each other every season in the Coppa Italia. I know that sort of is how the Coppa Italia works out, where the same teams play each other. But having covered Italian football the last sort of five or six years, this seems to be every year. Uh, Milan at home to Lazio. Michael, how do you see this one playing out? I mean, I feel like Milan should win. They're the better team. They're more organised. They've got way more variation going forwards. But, you know, you put these two teams' Coppa Italia records together and Lazio is better. And sometimes there is just a, you know, domestically at least. Like, I I just think Lazio might edge this one um, against all rationale, really, apart from, you know, cup form. Sarri generally has quite a good cup record as well. Um, I think he'll see this as a big opportunity for Lazio and Will Stefano Pioli's team be even more focused on the league after the derby win? So, yeah, I, 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 think, I think Lazio on 
extra time after extra time, maybe penalties as well. And you, Francesco? I'm also picking Lazio. I think Lazio are in the best form they've been in all season. I think in all competitions, they haven't conceded now in four straight games. But also, this game against Fiorentina at the weekend, it's the best I've seen Lazio this season. And um, I think Milan are definitely going to rest some players. So I think it's a big chance for Lazio. And yeah, I'm going to pick them. Let's say 2-0 to Lazio. 2-0, 2-0, okay. Um, you mentioned Fiorentina there who lost to Lazio. They're then in action on Thursday away at Atalanta um, in their quarterfinal clash. Uh, two teams maybe not in the best of form. How do you see this one playing out, Michael? Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, that's it could be quite a dreary or a really entertaining encounter. I think it's going to go either way. But if I'm going to do a high-scoring prediction, I will go for this game. And I think if Atalanta gets sucked into a high-scoring game, I think they'll come out on top. So I'll go 3-2 Atalanta. Still not too many goals, but enough. Yeah, this has been a really... I remember this was the semi-final maybe two years ago. I think it ended up something like 7-5 on aggregate or something ridiculous like that across the two legs. Um, Francesco, do you think Atalanta will come come out on top or are you going to go Fiorentina? No, I'm also going to go to Atalanta, I think. Just because I expect both teams possibly to rest players and Atalanta have been rotating players all season and it feels like there's not much of a drop-off from their kind of... Well, it's not even clear what their starting eleven is because they have so many good players. So I'd say Atalanta 3-1. OK. And final quarter-final clash is Juve at home to Sassuolo. Um, Sassuolo just coming off a heavy defeat. Can they bounce back or do you think Juve have got this one, Michael? Sassuolo generally perform better against the bigger teams this season and they'll. I think they'll see this as an opportunity, but ultimately I think there's way too many hurdles for Sassuolo to overcome for them to win the Cup and I think it'll probably end this week. I think Juventus have, you know, they're the current holders, they take this competition very seriously and I think Allegri will as well. I think he'll recognise the importance of getting a trophy in his first season. So, yeah, 2-0, 2-0 Juventus. Francesco? I I, th- I think, you know, I think this one could be interesting. I think Sassuolo are going to have a strong... Su- I, I believe that both Raspadori and uh, Scamacca are suspended for the league game next weekend, so I expect both of them to play. I imagine that Sassuolo will be, will be up for this. And, you know, at the same time, I also feel like Juve will probably play their strongest players. They, I, I'm guessing he's going to want to bed Vlaovic in, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Vlaovic play again and maybe maybe get them used to that formation as well. So I imagine Juve will be playing a, a strong team as well, probably their, their best chance of silverware this season uh, as we speak. So, But but I feel like Sassuolo could, could test this side. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Let's, let's go for Sassuolo. Just for kicks. I'm going to go 1-0 Sassuolo. Oh, nice. I like it. I like it. Go, going against the grain. Um, and we're going to end the episode looking ahead to this weekend. Um, there's two standout fixtures in my mind, so I want to sort of get your opinion on these. Um, first of all, Saturday, Napoli against Inter. As, as we've said, one point separating these two sides now. So Napoli have the chance to leapfrog Inter in the league. What chance do you give them of doing that, Michael? Or, or do you think that Inter will, will get back on track? Uh, I, I think this could be a really cagey one, to be honest. I think that the way things have gone recently, where it's the title race looked like it, like we spoke earlier about, like Inter could cruise the rest of the season. 
and now it's not the case and suddenly you know Napoli are in a really strong position I do think they'll be going into the game I think Inter will as well that neither team will want to lose this um so I could even see it being nil-nil I think there's maybe a too, few too many good players who can you know create and score goals on show so maybe it'll be 1-1 maybe even 2-2 but I think it'll be quite an evenly balanced affair and I think maybe one of, you know, these aren't two typically cautious teams, but I think that may be the case a bit more on at the weekend. So, yeah, I'll go for a draw. And how about you, Francesco? Who, who do you see as the favourites heading into this one? I think I make Inter slight favourites, but I agree with Michael. I think it's close. I'd probably go for a draw as well, maybe. And, and as Michael says, there's lots of, you know, players who can, who can score here? So, so maybe one all. Yeah, should be a really good game. Again, it's in that five pm slot on Saturday uh, UK time, um, and then on Sunday we've got Atalanta at home to Juve. Um, these two sides both really close in the league, fourth and fifth at the moment. Um, Juve looking to push up and, and maybe even put pressure on that top spot. Atalanta, as we've said, have been have been struggling a little bit lately. How, how do you maybe see? this one going Michael can, can Atalanta bounce back and, and get a get a win over Juve I actually think they can I mean I know I've been waxing lyrical about Juventus and I think they're going to have a really strong season and finish in the top four I don't have any doubt about that the one reason I think they might get unstuck in this individual game is that we talked about this sort of newfound confidence and almost a bit of an openness to Juventus now if they come through Sassuolo and they try and take this approach to Atalanta, it will really suit Atalanta. And I think Atalanta could really relish that kind of game against Juventus, which they've not always had. It's normally been maybe Atalanta trying to take the game to Juventus a bit more. Um, so for that reason, I think I think Atalanta will get a result. Um, and I think, I'm, I think they're going to be my outside bet and I'm going to go for a narrow Atalanta victory, maybe 2-1, um, maybe some profligacy from Juventus as well in front of goal, even with Vlaovic on the pitch, why not? Of course, Atalanta have actually struggled at home this season, haven't they, Francesco? Seems to have found it easier away. Uh, but but do you see them also causing Juve plenty of problems? I think they could, but I just feel like Juve are in a good place right now and I, I, it just feels like one of those matches where Atalanta are going to have 70% of the possession and lose 1-0. Um, I mean, if if you ask, if you want a prediction, that's probably what I'll go for. 1-0 to you all there, playing pretty rubbish, but never looking like conceding. Right, you are. OK, well, we'll see how those games do pan out. Uh, going to be another really interesting midweek and, and then weekend round of games. Um, thanks a lot for joining me, guys, and thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you again soon. Ciao.